Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Tuesday, December 8th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Today's topic, roster moves. We chat with Lynn Worthy, who covers the Royals, about the addition of pitcher Mike Miner and some non-tender decisions made by the club. Who does Lynn see as players the Royals will bring back from that group? We'll also hear from Mike Miner, who met with reporters after his signing. After a break, Sean Goodwin stops by to talk about the end of Sporting Kansas City's season last week in the playoffs and what's next for the club from a roster standpoint. We hone in on the future of Matt Beasley. Can you imagine a Sporting Kansas City roster without the captain? And we talk about a happy development, the return of women's professional soccer in Kansas City. That was announced just earlier this week. So all of that today, let's get going with Lynn Worthy talking Royals. Lynn Worthy is here. Lynn covers the Royals, and as there always is, plenty of news in the offseason. Um, Lynn, last time we talked to you, we talked about the Royals signing of, of Michael Taylor, the outfielder from the Washington Nationals, and that was less than a week ago, I believe. And since then, more news with, uh, with the roster has occurred. I think one of the more significant uh, pieces of news to come out was the Royals uh, announcing the the non-tenders of four players, including Michael Franco, who had a terrific season at third base for for the Royals last season. Tell us about that. What, why did it happen? What is in uh, Franco's future, and what's in the future for the Royals at third base? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, at that deadline, you know, um, they were actually I'm trying to remember what the actual number was, but it was something like. Close to 60 guys got non-tendered this year, and there was all, a whole lot of talk that that was going to happen because teams were looking at the financials and everything. But um, with with Franco, he was arbitration eligible, and he was coming off a season where his base salary was, I think, just under $3 million. Um, and, you know, they were – Dayton had pretty clearly in the media availabilities we had last week talked about um, – the guys they had signed were guys that were willing to work with them in terms of finances and that they were, you know, probably going to have to walk away from some guys if, you know, the numbers didn't align. And he obviously he didn't say Franco um, in that period of time, but it seemed that it was pretty clear that that's who he was referring to. Um, and so it wasn't a surprise that uh, it came to that day and Franco was the guy they cut loose. Um for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, they do have some options, whether that's going free agency, whether that's Hunter Dozier, um, whether that's, you know, plugging in a guy, whether that means like a guy like Mejia comes back and they give him a little look there or, you know, a guy like uh, Kelvin Gutierrez. Um, but also, I mean, if he was trying to really bank on the season he had, which he had, you know, he, he led the team in RBIs. I think he was among the league leaders in doubles. Um, was batting uh, upwards of 270, I believe. Uh, I think it was, I want to say it was like 278. Um, so 278, I mean, yeah. Yeah, he, he had a good season. So if he was trying to make bank on that and the Royals just didn't, you know, they, they reached the number, uh, they didn't feel like they could uh, sign him that. And then they didn't want to go through arbitration. We know the Royals rarely go through arbitration. Um, right. It was not a shock. Um, and I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I had an indication that, you know, like I said, he made three in base salary last year, that the number he might have been looking for was more than double that, maybe closer to triple that. So, 
Well, that'll um, yeah, and, and you're right about the Royals. They their history of arbitration is they um, you know they, they they don't go to arbitration. They they get things settled. And um, he look Franco uh, sixty game played in all sixty games last year. Eight home runs, thirty eight RBIs, led the team as you said, probably on pace over a you know one hundred and sixty two game season. To homers in the low twenties, you know RBIs pushing hundred. And, um, you know, just a, a good all-around solid season for, you know, for him at that position. The Royals were really happy with him. And a good clubhouse guy is from what we heard, right? We didn't spend any mm-hmm. time in the clubhouse this year, but, but a good influence in, uh, in, in, that, in that regard. So let's, let's go over the options again. What, what could the Royals do at third base coming, uh, coming up in 2021? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously um, when the, the – Primary options, you could just easily move Hunter Dozier back to third base where he started in 2019, um, where he played a lot in 2018 after, I think it was 2018 after the um, Moose trade. Um, he was basically your everyday third baseman. And then 2019, he went into the season as that. And then late in the season, they moved him out to the outfield. But, I mean, um, I think at the at the All-Star, at the end of the fan voting in the All-Star in 2019, he was like second or third behind Bregman, and uh, he was in the top three. I know that for a third base for uh, just from the fan voting. That is, he didn't end up making the All Star game, but fan voting, he was one of your leading vote getters um, in 2019 at third base. And then obviously they moved him in the off season. Uh, they knew they'd had a chance of getting Franco. They thought those would be a fit in the outfield, so um, he went into last season looking at primarily playing the outfield, but. As the season went along, they had him playing a lot of first base. And Matheny talked about how he's a potential gold glove type guy at first base, and they really like him there. But he's played third base. That's where, you know, he's played still more games than uh, than anywhere else, I believe, at this point in his big league career. So you got Hunter Dozier. You got Kelvin Gutierrez, who we saw play a little bit in 2019, who um, I'm trying to remember which trade that was with the Nationals that they acquired him. Uh, a couple years back, and they they've talked about him as being a potential you know future third baseman. Uh, he's just had injury problems, and that was part of the reason that you know they went and got Franco was they weren't sure that Goody was uh, ready to sort of step in and take that. Um, and then after that, I mean, there's you know whether you want to talk about you know like a guy like Mejia who technically is cut loose, but I think they expect he'll be back. Um, he's a guy who's played all over the place, and then down the line, the the part that's sort of interesting to me is, uh, you know, with Mondesi sort of solidified at shortstop, you know, Bobby Wood Jr. has played third base uh, in the spring uh, spring training 2.0 and also in the alternate site. I mean, he's moving around the infield a little bit, but it's definitely uh, played some third base. And I think it was J.J. Piccolo said back in the summer that they were making a concerted effort to get him some time at third base in the alternate camp, which obviously we weren't at, but we know he's got time there as well. Interesting, boy. That would uh, uh, that would be a star-studded left side of the infield if um, if you had Montesi and Witt over there. So uh, let's. Um, you mentioned Mejia. He's one of three others who were non-tendered, along with uh, Guzman and, and and Bubba Starling. But you think there's there's a chance that those three come back with the Royals? Yeah, I think it's a pretty strong chance. I mean, and, and for people who I know, I saw maybe a tweet or two was saying something about oh, it's Bubba's time is run up, and I'm like, well. Bubba's been through this before. He was non-tendered before and came back to the Royals. So this is not, you know, new. Um, this is more of a timing thing where, I mean, they obviously they need the roster space if they're going to go sign guys. In order to sign a play like Taylor or Minor, 
you got to have room on the roster. You got the Rule 5 draft coming up. If you're going to add guys to the Rule 5 draft, you got to have space on the roster. So, um, and it's calculated, you know, sort of a calculated um, uh, bet here that, you know, you're cutting the guy loose, but assuming you're going to be able to bring him back, maybe even have a side deal where you might bring him back um, and that he's not going to go to another organization. And there's a lot of free agents out there right now too. So you figure it's probably pretty good bet you're going to be able to secure your own free agents guys um, that you had to cut loose that you wanted to keep in house. Gotcha. Okay. And you mentioned minor. That's the other, uh, I think after we recorded last week that later that afternoon or the next day, Mike minor signed with the Royals back with the Royals. And if, if a player can win a press conference in the zoom <laughs> uh, world these days, I thought minor did a terrific job talking to reporters, uh, you and, and others, the other uh, last week, when he mentioned, um, uh, you know, th- this was a, a signing that how can I how can I put this that the Royals taking care of him while he was in the organization seemed to pay dividends for the Royals now. Yeah, I think he even used the phrase he felt like he owed it to Dayton and the, the organization in terms of you know signing coming back to them uh, signing the deal with them. Um, cause it was 20, you know, 2015, he's got the shoulder surgery it ends his season. And I think it was May, uh, 2016 didn't end up pitching at all, but was under contract with the Royals and part of the organization and didn't throw a pitch for them in a big league game, but was under contract and was under contract for the next year. And so it obviously pitched out of the bullpen for them in 2016. Um, so this, the way that they, they handled that, um, the way that they treated them, the way they, they made them feel a part of things and. 20, you know, 2016, um, I mean, 20, 20, uh, 2016, then, uh, and then before he pitched in 2017, that is, um, I think really lasted with him and just being part of that group, even though he wasn't necessarily, um, you know, on the field with them in 2016, um, really stuck with him. And the fact that uh, Dayton and uh, some of the people in the front office handled things the way they did. And then also um, the fact that they came at him aggressively to start free agency this time. He mentioned that, that um, right out of the gate, they came and got in contact with his agent and were ready to make an offer. And I think he, in his words, he said it was earlier than you expect to actually get an offer um, or no, uh, earlier than is you know, normal to get an offer. But um, they, they made it pretty clear out of the gate. They, they wanted him. They wanted him to be in part of their rotation and, uh, um, you know, instead of waiting to see what the uh, market held and how things unfolded, he, he jumped on it. Yeah, so he was an all-star two years ago, 2019 with the Rangers, and uh, 200 Ks and uh, 123 WHIP, 359 ERA, great credentials um, with with Texas. But this past year, uh, in the abbreviated season, one in six with uh, 556 ERA, 62 Ks. Um, but a 230 opponent's batting average pitched uh, almost 57 innings for for Texas and uh, in Oakland. So, what uh, what did he say about the the difference between 2019 and 2020 for him? Well, he was pretty blunt when asked about 20, 2020. He just said it was awful, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I mean he didn't. Um, I don't I don't want to say he made excuses, but like you know, as you I mean obviously we ask him you know follow up questions. It sounded like. Um, just the, the disjointedness of 2020 with the pandemic and everything um, really had him off for the better part of the entire year. Um, like, so when, when I asked about the, the break between the two spring trainings, 
Um, it sounded like he wasn't able to get on any sort of a consistent program, which is one of those things that, you know, during the summer, we've talked to multiple Royals pitchers about how they were able to throw when they were, um, you know, able to stay on a, a sort of a program and sort of um, had a very designed uh, way they were going about things in constant contact with the pitching staff. And I mean, uh, the pitcher uh, coaching staff uh, dealing with the pitchers and everything. Um, it sounded like minor was, um, you know, sort of uh, just out on his own for a while. He talked about playing catch. He talked about being able to uh, trying to get on the sneak on the fields to be able to just throw a little bit and throw it against the wall and things like that. Um, and so it, uh, sounded like he was just, uh, never really got in sync. And then he, when he was pitching the games, like he said, he, he thought after that second point of spring training, the uh, spring training 2.0 summer camp thought he had, uh, you know, he was ready to go, but as the season started, you know, just mechanically all over the place change up, which is his best pitch. Wasn't, uh, didn't feel right. And it wasn't until the end of the season that he felt like he really, um, felt comfortable. So um, now, of course, the the flip side of that is people point to say, well, he's going to turn 33 in a few weeks here, or maybe he's just getting older and the Royals uh, signed uh, at least two years guaranteed for a guy who maybe is on that downswing. So that's the pessimistic view, obviously. Right, right, right. But okay, we're going to hear from Mike Miner in his uh, his meeting with reporters when he when he signed. We'll do that um, in a moment. But first, I just wanted to take this opportunity to congratulate uh, an old friend, Dick Cagle, who just today was named the winner of the uh, J.G. Taylor Spink Award that's handed out by the Baseball Writers Association of America for meritorious contributions to baseball writing. Dick has been in the he was in the baseball writing game for more than five decades, and and for a couple of those at the Kansas City Star um, in the mostly in the nineties and the two thousands. Went to work for MLB.com after that. Before that, um, he had had a life over on the other side of of Missouri, covering the Cardinals uh, for um, for for newspapers there, and and worked at the Sporting News. So I've known Dick for almost my entire time at, at the star for more than 30 years. And it is a, it's a wonderful honor. It's really a lifetime achievement award for a guy who has given his life to, to baseball writing. So Lynn, I don't know about you, five decades, you got five decades in you of baseball writing. Well, well, um, as, as they like to say in the ball game, you know, uh, take it game by game, <laughs> <laughs> take it game by game. But, yep. um, but you know, it's been, it was it was great to hear that news for, for Dick, and um, I actually got an email from him uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago because uh, when the news came out, he was a finalist. A few of us on Twitter were talking about you know just how great he's been to us um, writers coming up, and he's not on Twitter, but it must have got to him at some points because he emailed me and just wanted to thank me for saying the kind words. So, um, and obviously see him having been around, uh, back when, you know, we were actually covering games and then clubhouses and all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, a, a season ago, um, got to see him a lot then. So, um, it's great to hear this. Yeah. And I think, uh, if, I, if I'm counting right third, uh, third writer who spent a lot of time at the Kansas city star to, to win this award following Joe McGuff, the, Longtime columnist and, and and of course contributor to uh, to the the success of Major League Baseball in in Kansas City uh, in the Royals and uh, and Tracy Ringlesby, longtime baseball writer. So 
again, congratulations to Dick Cagle. And now we are going to hear from Mike Miner as we bid farewell to Lynn Worthy. Lynn, great talking to you. Thanks for having me. No, the, the time I was there, um, going through the whole the rehab process and, and rehabbing the shoulder and everything, I feel like everybody treated me well. Um, I felt like that maybe I didn't deserve it at times because I wasn't pitching, and I know a lot of other other people, other organizations would maybe kind of throw me to the side, and I, I didn't feel like they did that there. I felt like Dayton was very honest with me the whole time, uh, as well as Jen. And, you know, I had a good time. There was a good group there when I was there. Uh, good memories. Pitched well there when I did pitch. Um, so good city, good fans. I liked everything about it. So it was kind of an easy decision. Um, had some other teams interest, interested, but um, Kansas City came after me pretty hard. So I didn't really want to – I didn't want to pass it up. Yeah, I think, I think they're trending up. Obviously, they, they've had some down years the last couple of years, but they're trending up. I know that they want me to step in and kind of mentor some of the young guys and I guess show them the ways a little bit, um, especially the starting staff. I think it's me and Duffy and, and then Keller's in there, but he's still kind of a young guy. And then um, a couple of the other guys that are really young, just coming up, have a, have a cup of coffee last year or, or, or right out there, right there and um, about to come up. Um, you know, I think that hopefully I'm here for, for the, for both of the years. I know that, I know things how they are uh, with the business and everything. If if we're not competing and we're kind of at the bottom again, then they might trade me. But um, right now, it's it, we're trying to win. You know, we're trying to trying to win, trying to be competitive. And I think that we have the pieces. Um, like I said before, there, there's some guys there that I played with that I know how they are. I know how they compete. Um, and there's some young guys that are probably hungry and, and ready to play. So um, yeah, I, I think I think we're ready. Last year, like I said, I, I, I didn't start off very, very well. I, I didn't feel that great. I felt like mechanically I was off. I felt like my body was tight or something. You know, it wasn't coming out. wasn't whippy. Um, and then that last, like, two weeks of the season going into the playoffs with Oakland, um, I felt like I turned a corner working on some things in the weight room, working on some things on the mound. And then Velo started going back up, and then the season was over. Um, so it's – I feel like I learned some things when I got traded over to Oakland. They kind of they showed me some things that that I thought I was I was missing out on, um, and that I previously done, and then forgot about doing or or lacked you know doing that stuff in the weight room or the training room. And then I started doing that stuff, and then feeling better and feeling uh, more in tune with my body, and and stuff was was starting to fire, starting to activate um, certain muscle groups and stuff like that. And then I feel like the performance was was trending up, um, but like I said, it wasn't a it wasn't a long season, so. Yeah, I, man, I, I don't – I've talked to Nick Kenny, the, the athletic trainer, a little bit um, about about some things like that, and I've already told him I don't want to be babied. I don't want to be held back. You know, I don't – I want to pitch. You know, I don't I don't want to be – and I've talked to uh, Matheny about it too, that I don't want to be taken out of a ball game just because the, you know, the third time through the lineup's coming up or because I'm at – 90 pitches or or whatever it is i want to be taken out if i'm not performing or if i feel fatigued or if i look fatigued you know i don't that's just kind of how i I view things and i'm kind of i told him i'm kind of old school and he 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 agreed and he's kind of the same way i guess um and and so they already know how i how i feel and how and where i stand on the next season you know i don't want them taking me out until the ninth inning you know i don't I want to be out there and I want to give it everything I got every night. Hey, it's Blair. 
we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Sean Goodwin covers Sporting Kansas City for the Star. We have not talked since the season ended for uh, for Sporting KC. Sean, first of all, how you doing? I'm good, Black. I'm a mixed emotions. Sporting KC is finished, but Kansas City's got an NWSL team, so can't complain about that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Let's go back to last week and 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 the loss, painful loss for for Sporting, and entered the the playoffs as the top seed. Um, won a you know just a incredible game against the Earth San Jose uh, previously, and came into the Minnesota United game I think confident and um, you know just feeling feeling good about itself. I, I, I had a little premonition when when Alan Polito was was a scratch. And I know Peter Vermees said he would have played in the in the next game, but once I just felt a little shoulder sag when 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 I found out Polito wasn't suiting up for Sporting that night. And listen, you can't hang a three nothing loss on the absence of one player, but he he would have made a difference at some at some level, wouldn't he have? Yeah, I mean, I can't remember if I said it on here specifically, but. I talked to a couple of places ahead of the game, and I was basically saying uh, a big matchup is obviously there's 11 men on both teams, but it'd be Alan Polito versus Emmanuel Reynoso. And that, well, one of those doesn't even on the field, it's Emmanuel Reynoso versus no one at that point. So obviously, right. we, we saw he went out there, he got three goals or three assists, sorry. And that was the big difference because Sporting he just at least for the first half, didn't really give him the respect he deserves, so to speak. Um, far too much space, far too much time. Uh, and they, they ultimately paid pretty dear. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, was the, that was the big source of issue for Sporting KC in that game. And obviously, missing Polito doesn't help. I mean, it reminds me of when they were dumped out of the MLS's back tournament way back against Philadelphia. Um, in that game, we went down it was two or three zero, and then, three zero, I think, early. Yeah, yeah, we went down three zero. Alan Polito did actually; he was the one who grabbed Sporting's only goal right before half time, and it was a little bit of that false hope. But he's the guy who can at least make something count and nothing. And Sporting could have used that this time round, especially with it being a playoff situation. But obviously, he wasn't available for. For such uh, such frivolities for KC, yeah. So the season ends, and uh, we know that uh, Minnesota has uh, has been eliminated. Had a two goal lead, two goal lead on the Seattle Sounders after seventy five minutes, and Seattle ends up winning that game three to two. 
Sounders are just the class, I think, of of uh, Major League Soccer right now. So uh, they're they're through to the final, and and Sporting Kansas City is looking to next year. So Sean, let's just speculate a little bit. Uh, there are some moves that we we expect Sporting Kansas City to make for the twenty twenty one season. What uh, what what are, what are the priorities for for this club? And just how about some some names and, and thoughts on who you think will return and who will not be back for Sporting Kansas City? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a bunch of guys who are either out of contract or have options for 2021, 2022. Uh, I think good big names, obviously, that people are going to be looking at is the immediate guys who are out of contract. Um, primarily amongst those, there's been obviously a lot of talk because Matt Beasley, uh, Roger Espinosa, those are the big two who are out of contract basically now, you know, at the end of the season. Um, if you were to ask me, uh, Pisa keeps a lot of this under wraps until, you know, well, we hopefully will be told later this week. Uh, I've been told the club is leaning towards releasing their roster movements later this week, but it could very well be up to the MRS Cup. But, uh, as for Matt, you know, I, I made a thread actually on Twitter a couple of days ago basically saying that because he plays his last game back at the end of oh, September, I think it was now, so it was a while ago, um, or October maybe, Um he got injured and we haven't seen him since. And I think that might have been the last time that we saw Matt Beasley in a sporting KC shirt, which is incredibly sad when you think of, you know, what he's done for the team, the city, you know, he's a Kansas City guy. Uh, but I just, with the options sporting has in defense, we're looking to move on to a new core. Um, and then just his overall dipping performance, which just comes with age, like any player. Um, for the money that I'm sure he would want, unless he takes a massive cut, I don't think he comes back to sports in KC in a playing capacity. Uh, I think he has the, the ability to offer his talents elsewhere in the league for a couple of years. Uh, I mean, he's still only 33, if I am correct on that. So he definitely has the time to play elsewhere. I just don't think it's in Kansas City. Uh, and I guess you'll. Oh, well, I was going to say, I just I can't imagine him in a in a different color yeah. uniform. I just can't. I mean, it's just one of those, you know. He, he you you mentioned it. Not you know, he's he's Kansas City, right? Blue Valley yeah. West, and um, just I think top. You know, we've I've had this discussion with other mm-hmm. sports writers. Just you know, one of the top professional athletes who who grew up and went to high school here in Kansas City that ended up playing for. You know the hometown mm-hmm. team guys like you know, Frank White is probably at the top of that list. Uh, Lincoln Lincoln Prep High, and then uh, you know long time gold, you know multiple Gold Glove winner uh, for the for the Royals. So that's just, um, but you know there is a, there is a business to run with um, with all professional sports teams, and he may get caught in the in a business decision um, that that Sporting will have to make. Yeah, I mean you know it's it's not quite the same because as you were saying he's a. He's a Kansas City guy, where it makes me think of Seth Sinovic too. I mean, obviously, sure. yeah, uh, his whole career, basically. Yeah, it's just last year, Peter Ramis finally made a decision that, hey, it's uh, it's time to move on. And 
Peter has always said in his whole career uh, coaching sports in KC, uh, he made one decision based on emotion. Um, he never tells anyone what that decision is. Um, I know Sam Malinger has mentioned it a couple of times in some of his stories. Um, has had one decision that he's never, never told anyone, but he regrets it. And I think, you know, again, if this isn't a time for emotional decisions, and I don't expect Peter to do so. And I think if you look at all the factors, it could the logical decision is you, you move on when you look at who else Sporting Casey has in defense. And I assume we're going to bring in another, you know, another solid center back because I don't expect Winston Reed to stay. Uh, so that's my thoughts on that anyway. Okay. Well, we uh, we now have a a charge as journalists to get that piece of info, extract that piece of information from Peter Vermees, his, uh, you know, his, his emotional decision that, that cost him. That's, that's, uh, I, that's right. My, my appetite is wet for that, uh, piece of information. Um, okay. You mentioned it earlier and that, uh, big news, uh, this week with the return of women's professional soccer to Kansas city, it's official. Uh, the women are returning when they, when they left uh, as FC KC or FC Kansas City, they were one of the, the the better franchises in the league. They were they were here for five seasons from 2013 through 2017. They won two championships. They averaged um, in their best year 4,600 fans. Um, really nice uh, average attendance for them. They had such players as Lauren Holiday and Becky Sauerbrunn and. Um, it was a, it was a successful venture, but, um, you know, ownership issues, um, and, and, and then the team up and left and went, to, went to Utah, that, that Utah team is returning to Kansas city and women's professional soccer is back. Um, I, I think it's a wonderful piece of information to have and, um, and, and, and just good news for Kansas city. Yeah, I mean, you know, as the women's game continues to grow, I think all you have to look at now is is the crowds that the U.S. women's national team got for the World Cup down in power and lights and the obvious support that, you know, a lot of people give Kansas City flack for what happened to FCKC a couple of years ago. Uh, but as he said, there was a lot of infighting with the ownership and legal battles within the ownership and just from the top down and um, it, it wasn't too good so I'm thinking you know, with, with a new ownership coming in um, I'm not sure if we go back to the same game or not but you know you mentioned the average attendance of what 4k uh, yeah in his best year yeah I can see that going up honestly um, I, at least immediately and I hope that support stays over time but I don't see any reason why at its top, you know, you're looking at eight to 10K fans. Um, you know, obviously, there's, there's a whole debate now of where they play because it doesn't look like it'll be a children in Mersey Park. Uh, but I think they're going to have to find somewhere that holds uh, a decent amount of fans. That's not just the 4K because I think the city is showing that it supports women's soccer and it loves women, women's soccer. And it's a great time for the teams to be coming back to KC despite the, the negative uh, publicity the city got a couple of years ago. The coach of the team when it was here was Vladko Andonovsky, who is now the uh, the women's national oh, yeah. team coach. And 
he um, and and since the team has relocated to Utah, the of course the the, the U.S. women won the World Cup in 2019. So certainly, as you mentioned, uh, a higher profile game than than it was when when uh, FC Kansas City was here. Um, I, I agree. I, I think it's on an upward trajectory and would succeed no matter where um, uh, where it's played. I, and you're right about a you know needing to find a you know a, a suitable stadium for uh, for the for the team. So uh, looking forward to having them back. We'll see what uh, what the roster uh, makeup is when when they return and how competitive they'll be. But uh, Sporting Kansas City, not Sporting Kansas City, FC Kansas City. It, it, are they keeping the name? Do you know or? Um, I have no idea. Um, we don't know that yet either, do we? Yeah, apparently sometime within the next week or so, they should be releasing name and logo and branding. But I would be surprised if they went elsewhere. I think FC Kansas City, with the two championships already attached to it, um, it, it wouldn't be the worst idea to just jump back on board with that. There you go. Okay, Sean Goodwin, great catching up with you, and we will talk to you again soon. Always happy to go. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy and Sean Goodwin for stopping by and talking roster moves with the Royals and Sporting Kansas City. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we got another deal for you, especially for those who want to deep dive into the Stars' terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. How do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. Do you want more than just the sports coverage? I know I do. Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports, news, features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the e-edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. And if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers, send me an email, bkirkoff at kcstar.com, and I'll get you to the right place. So whether it's the Sports Pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports Beat KC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Wednesday with another episode.